Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, as we closed with that, uh, began and closed with that last week, but we want to kind of focus our attention on some of the things that are, uh, that are written by the Apostle Paul in this uh, to encourage our hearts as well as to challenge our hearts uh, as we enter into this new year of 2018. Now, on New Year's Eve, we, uh, we had the first of, uh, of these three uh, prophecy updates that focused uh, our attention on the, uh, the things that happened in 2017 that were very significant to Bible prophecy and how much of what we're seeing now happening and, and beginning to happen and are, are, are going to be happening in 2018 will continue on, both nationally as well as internationally, but most importantly, uh, in Israel, uh, as we see what's happening there and what is being prepared uh, in, in, these, uh, in these last days. Uh, then last week we dealt primarily with uh, the things that are happening within the body of Christ, the church, and some of the problems that we see uh, the church facing uh, in, in pertaining to uh, uh, the apostasy, the falling away from the faith and falling away from the truth that's happening quite a bit in, uh, in many churches and denominations. Uh, and uh, that brought us, of course, to focus our attention on, uh, on this one question that we asked about how, how are we going to handle the increasing wickedness that is taking place in the world today as we see the day of Christ approaching. So let's read uh, this passage here in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, and begin now our, our look into this third but I can't say final prophecy update. We'll be doing this throughout the year as well. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Father, we ask your blessing upon our time in your word. We ask that you would anoint and bless us with your Holy Spirit and with your wisdom and understanding. And as we face this new year, may we face it, Lord, with hope and with confidence, with boldness, with your love, with your mercy, with your grace, and with your truth ever before us and in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It has become easy in our day and age to get into the mindset that leads a person to believe that the spirit world, to some degree, is not real, and is only a figment of the imaginations of authors and poets of the macabre, filmmakers, video game designers, and Hollywood producers and directors who bring these vivid imaginations to life on the big screen and in many of the major video games of today. On the other hand, there are those who contend that the spirit world is very much real and depending on the type of spirit can either cause great havoc or some undisclosed or undiscovered good. Is it any wonder that the Apostle John would tell us to test the spirits to see if they're of God? Which gives us somewhat of a hint that there is a spirit world 
that we have to deal with. Add to these two perspectives the obsessive interest that many people have today and have had for quite some time in UFOs, extraterrestrials, extra-dimensional and multi-dimensional beings, which, by the way, are relatively new terms. Not to mention alien activity, and we're not talking about that, which is happening at the borders. Alien intrusions, and soon to be official disclosures, if you keep up with this, and we should, because it's all a part of what we're dealing with today. But all of which only heighten this sort of thinking. Plus, to some extent, it muddies the reality of what the scriptures point out quite extensively and quite clearly, that there is an invisible spirit world in which a spiritual warfare is taking place in that invisible realm. The world, for the most part, wants to go on living, undeterred by what it considers to be meaningless claptrap. And by the way, that is a word. I didn't make it up. If you look it up, it means absurd or nonsensical talk or ideas. And that becomes a major part of the problem of bringing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the masses. People just want to live their lives. Think about this, before you, you may have come to Christ, it might have been the very same way with you. Maybe you were a religious person, you went to church or whatever. But the, for the most part, from Monday through Saturday, you just wanted to be left alone. You just wanted to live your life, make a living, get, you know, feed your family, you know, go on to life. And you know, by the time it, you know, retirement comes, and then after that, you, know, you may die or whatever, and then that's it. You know, lights go out and it's all over. Just moving day to day, living, breathing, dying. I remember a line from the movie The Matrix. How many of you remember the movie Matrix? It wasn't last week, by the way. It was about 20-some years, 20 years ago, I think. A little, little, little bit over that. But I remember this line from that movie, The Matrix, which really struck me about the times in which we're living. Morpheus, the spiritual leader and guide to Thomas Anderson, who would later be called Neo, says to him concerning The Matrix, and you may not know anything about the movie, it's okay. It's one line that I want you to see, and you'll see it in a moment. It shouldn't be up there yet. But it's the matrix is a system, Neo. That system is our enemy. But when you're inside, you look around, and what do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters. The very minds of the people we're trying to save. But until we do, these people are still a part of that system, and that makes them our enemy. You have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. Yeah, you kind of have to know the movie to understand that phrase. But it's this phrase I want you to see. And he says, and many of them are so inert, so hopeless, hopelessly dependent on the system that they will fight to protect it. And let's come to grips with the fact that we all were at one time dependent on the system. What system? The world system. The cosmos. The world system. And we did all we could to protect that way of life. And the Apostle Paul made that very clear to the church in Ephesus. That there was a world system all humans were dependent upon. And that there was a ruler in that system. You see, we can go on living life without realizing there was if I can say it, a deep state. There was an invisible spirit ruler. And I should say there is. And Paul makes that clear in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Where he says, and you has he quickened or made alive. But the point here is, and that of course ties back to the last part of chapter 1 and what we'll see after chapter 4. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 1 and what we'll see after verse 4 of Ephesians 2. Right now we're concerned with this statement. And you, as you quickened or made alive who were dead, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, 
you who were dead. Now take note of all of these words. They're significant. He says, wherein in time past, you walked. So you were dead, but you walked. Whoa, the walking dead. You walked according to what? To the course of this world. The word world here in the Greek is the word cosmos. K-O-S-M-O-S. Which literally means the world system. You walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The spirit that now worketh. An invisible being. But who, by the way, at times can become visible. Just remember that. Among whom also we all had our conversation. It's an interesting word. Uh, many times when we see the word conversation in the King James Version, it means, of course, our conduct. Literally here it means we all had our conduct that abided in. Our conduct was abiding in. In other words, it was dwelling in this system. And that's a significant aspect here, too, that we need to understand. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh. The word flesh is sarx, S-A-R-X in the Greek, carnal human nature. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, the dianoia, the imagination. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. For most of us, that is a review of where we were before we came to Christ. The reality that Paul, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the reality that Paul is declaring is that there truly is a world system and a spirit world that is ruled by a spirit being. The world system and the spirit world that is ruled by a spirit being. And this world, as Paul states, is then a satanically organized system that hates and opposes all that has been created for good by the one true God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the reason that Jesus would tell his disciples in John 15, that chapter that we finished right before the holidays, uh, where J Jesus said in John 15 verse 18, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And then in verse 23, he that hateth me hateth my father also. So that underlying invisible realm that is led by this spirit has a hatred for the God who created the heavens and the earth. The God of the scriptures, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. Those who are the unregenerate of this world, which means the, the unbeliever or the unsaved, are walking dead and following the ruler of the, of the power, it says, the authority of the air, who is Satan, the devil. The unbelievers are very much alive physically, but dead spiritually. And that death has to do with separation from God and having no communication whatsoever with God. And again, I, I, can, I can refer you to the fact that you know, many of us grew up religiously. And, and we, we went to church at times. And, uh, you know, so we, we participated in the rites and the rituals of whatever denomination or group we were a part of, but we, but we didn't communicate with God. We didn't truly communicate that way. We couldn't wait to get out of church. We could go home and watch TV, football. Oh, I'm sorry. So I didn't get into, under anybody's skin there. I never know the reason why we went to church to begin with. I want you to consider what else is said of this power of the air. 
Because Paul then says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And we're talking about the lost being those who have uh, no communication with God whatsoever. But it says to them that are lost, in whom, notice, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I can tell you this, the enemy of our souls works overtime to keep us in the dark. And not just the unbeliever, but even the believer, if he can possibly do that. And the only way that he can possibly do that, as we, we referred to in some ways last week, in the apostasy of the, uh, that has arisen in the church, is to keep us away from the truth and the light of the glory of, of Christ and the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. John, the apostle, would write in 1 John 5, verse 19, and we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. So John was making it clear that the believer in Jesus Christ is separate and distinct from Satan's controlled world system and essentially free from its power. Essentially free from the power. And I, and I have to say that, that we should understand that we who believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, put on himself flesh, went to the cross on our behalf, died on that cross, shed his blood, was, died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. All of that was to conquer sin and death and hell and Hades and the enemy on our behalf. And we're the victors in all of that. Though we did nothing to save ourselves. And therefore we have something to live right for God each and every day. And that is to stay in the light of God's presence and the light of God's word and the light of God's spirit. But I have a question for you. Is it possible though? Is it possible to believe in Jesus and ignore the invisible spirit world that the scriptures so clearly identify as the resistance to the things of God? And I have to say sadly that it, it is possible. But Satan can blind the eyes. I mean, why, why should we deal with the issue of apostasy if Satan can blind the eyes of some people from the word of God and have them leave the faith, have them leave the trust of the word of God and the trust of God himself? In some cases, our whole, our whole desire is that some people would open their eyes again to that light and come back to the Lord and get right with God. But we see the effects of the enemy and the world system around us, but when is it time for us then to take a stand? Because if we go on living like the rest of the world, as if to say, well, you know, I go to church, I, you know, I, I pray now and then. Some people pray at least three times a day, right? Breakfast, lunch, and supper. But do we really seek the face of God? Are we really trusting the Lord because of what we see today in this world happening? The things that are happening. And they're happening at an alarming rate each and every day as we get closer to the coming of Jesus Christ. When is it time to take the stand? When is it time to quit playing games with God and say, you know what, we need to get serious now. We need to get serious with the Lord. We need to get serious with his word. We need to get serious with his commands. We need to get serious about doing our part in the body of Christ, our service to the Lord, our sacrifices unto God, which are not there for us to be saved, but because we're saved, we serve. The time is now to know that Satan is real. The time is now to know that demons are real, to know that the conflict in the heavenlies is real. And the messenger angels of God are real too. We can get so obsessed with, with, with demonism and Satanism and, 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 and fallen angels and forget that God has some great angels on his side. We need to know everything that the Word of God says about our enemy, though. Who he is, what he's able and not able to do. 
And everything that we need to know about the spiritual warfare that we will be daily engaged in until the coming of Jesus Christ for his bride, the church. These are things we need to know. And the fact of the matter is, if we're serious about the word of God, from reading it from Genesis to Revelation, studying as we try to do day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, until the Lord comes, this is something that we need to be engaged in every day. Because this is our food, it is our weaponry, it is our shield, it is our strength. And it is our roadmap to salvation. The answer to the question asked in our previous prophetic updates, how do we handle the increasing wickedness in the world, can in some part be found in our text, beginning with verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Paul says, finally, which, you know, I don't don't want to accuse Paul of, of, of telling a little fib, but finally goes a long way with Paul. The whole rest of the chapter. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Paul is encouraging the believer to put on. Be strong in the Lord. This whole whole passage from 10 through 18 is about putting on, like putting on garments. But he's encouraging the believer to put on as a garment the strength that can only take effect because of being in unity with the Lord himself. We have to remember it's not about our self-effort. It is not about our physical strength. When he says, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, he means be strong in what the Lord is strong in. It is his strength. It is the power of his might, not yours or mine. Because in context here, we have to understand we have an enemy, and that enemy is strong. There are no doubts about that. Peter tells us he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And there's a lot of people who say, yeah, but, you know, Christ has knocked out his teeth. Well, I don't know about that. You know, whether he's going to gum people to death or not, he's still doing a pretty good job. You understand what I'm saying? We have to to be understanding that we have an enemy that's not messing around. It is about being dependent on the Lord for the supply of his strength to his people. The power mentioned has to do with the effectiveness of the might and power essentially inherent in Christ. That means we must be dependent upon the strength of God. We must be dependent upon the strength of the Lord, the strength of Christ, the strength of what he's done on our behalf. And therefore, he goes on and says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, Paul was careful to exhort the believer to be enveloped in, to be hidden in, and to be clothed with, because the word that is used here is the word panoplia, from which we get the English word panoply. But what does that mean? It means the whole array of weapons. Put on the whole armor of God. Don't leave one part missing of all the armor that God has provided for you. Put on the whole armor of God. We should daily be in full armor, wholly armed. I work with law enforcement and have been doing that now 16 years. And and the fact of the matter is, I, I know one thing. And when a police officer or a sheriff's deputy begins his day, they don't put on half of their essentials. They have to put the whole armor on. Those that are out in the field with weapons, of course, they need to, of course, take their weapon. But they also have to have their vest. They need their protection. I'd be unprotected without it. There's other, other things that they have to carry. Well, they don't, they don't leave any of that behind. They have to carry these things. The same with our, our, our military. Going out to, to battle, they need to take everything that is necessary to protect themselves. There are more things on them to protect themselves than 
the offensive weapon, as we'll see here in, in, in this passage. Most of the things that we're given as the armor of God are defensive. But you have the one offensive weapon, the word of God. So he says we should then be daily in full armor. And, and by the way, let me ask you this question. Do you think that the apostle Paul was speaking in hyperbole? I mean, was he speaking in exaggeration a little bit? Maybe overstatement, maybe just you know, try to be a little dramatic here. I don't think so. He was quite aware of the strategies of the enemy. But why do so many Christians pay little mind to the things that Paul was describing as necessary to be effective in spiritual warfare? I'll give you just a little hint from last week. When you don't study the Word of God, when you put the Word of God aside, you're putting this aside. So you're putting the list of things aside that you need for your daily walk with the Lord because you face a very dangerous enemy. And some people don't want to go there. That's dangerous. Are people missing the fact that the armor's origin and source is of God? Put on the whole armor of God? God is the origin and the supply of this armor for us, for you, for me, as believers in Jesus Christ. But the emphasis certainly needs to be placed not only on the divine equipment, but on the completeness of the equipment without lacking a single part. And for good reason, it is to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, the word wiles is, is the Greek word methodia, or methodeia, which has that word method in it. And there is a method to his madness. Method is, methodeia is defined as cunning arts, as deceit, craft, and trickery. This is what the devil has to do. This is the reason why the Bible says that, that Satan himself is as an angel of light. He knows a little bit about being an angel because that's what he is. Definitely the most fallen angel that there's been, but that's what he is. Yet he has to go about being an angel of light to trick and to fool people. And these things refer to the strategy or the stratagem of the enemy. This is all his part. This is all his plan. This is all his strategy. This is all his methodology. But the key to our study in dealing with that and being able to stand as often as we're told to stand is found in verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul is going straight to the understanding that there is an invisible spirit world that we are battling in. This is where spiritual warfare takes place. And I have to say to you, as close as we are to the coming of Christ and the fulfilling of all of Scripture, that we can't put our heads in the sand and say, well, maybe this will all go away. Why do we have to make such a big deal about this, this battle. If we maybe just stay quiet, maybe the devil won't bother us, right? But Paul goes right to the jugular, if you will, the spiritual jugular. And he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The word wrestle that he uses, the Greek word pale is a Greek athletic term, and I have to emphasize Greek athletic term, that can be defined as a contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other and which is decided when the victor is able to press and hold down his opponent prostrate and his hand upon his neck. You know, in other words, he's got to hold him down, got to pin him down. You know, nowadays, what do they do in wrestling? You know, uh, got to pin him down for three counts or whatever. 
The fact that the loser in a Greek wrestling competition, and, and by the way, the Ephesians would know this because they lived in a, a, a more Greek culture, but the fact that the loser in a Greek wrestling competition would have his eyes gouged out, <laughs> resulting in blindness, certainly formed an aspect of desperation in the minds of the Ephesians about the conflict. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against. You're actually wrestling against an enemy that wants to gouge your spiritual eyes out. But Paul is very clear when he says we wrestle not against blood and flesh. And that's really in the Greek the order that Paul uses, blood and flesh. You do wrestle, though, against four distinct orders. The first order is the principalities. And, and it's fitting that you wrestle against principalities first because the word arche, A-R-C-H-E, for principalities, is a word that means the first ones, the preeminent ones, the leaders. So... This is a structure in the, in the spirit world, in the demonic spirit world that Paul was quite aware of. The first ones. The first order. Huh. The preeminent ones. The leaders don't stay in the back. They come right at you. And then he said, in the second order would be the powers, the exousia, which means the authorities, the demons of Satan, what some consider to be the lower atmosphere that constitutes his kingdom in the air. It brought to mind last night this aspect that even in this place here, we can't see the battle that's going on. But there is definitely a battle going on in this place today. The enemy wanting to distract you. In some way. Keep your minds and your thoughts on other things than on the word of God. But there are God's messengers here as well. And just as Michael fought on behalf and does continue to fight on behalf of the nation of Israel... So, do those that are sent forth by God himself are here to help us. Though God himself will help us and Christ himself and his spirit are with us too. And then the third order is the rulers of the darkness of this world. Very interesting Greek word, kosmokrator, or kosmokrator the world rulers of this darkness. Cosmo, of course, the world system, and the krator, or those who are rulers of darkness. You know, I mentioned the word, or, t or the, the statement, uh, or the phrase, I should say, the deep state earlier. How many of you have heard of the deep state uh, that we have in the United States government today? Let me see your hands. Let me see you. Uh, more than last night. Man, last night I was like, whoa, you guys, watch it. <laughs> A lot of uh, talk about the deep state. And uh, if you don't think it's important, it is. Uh, there's a shadow government. That's what a deep state is, a shadow government. And even though most news media will not talk about the deep state or the shadow government, uh, it's, it's taking place today. And uh, I have to say that, of course, after Donald Trump became the president of the United States, that uh, this shadow government immediately started its work in resisting everything that he and his administration would stand for. 
I don't want to go into all the details of that, but I just want to mention that that's what the deep state is as far as politics is concerned in our country. But I have to tell you that there's a deeper state that, that actually moves that deep state. And that's the deeper state of this darkness of, of the world. Because you see, the deep state wants one thing. They want a new world order. They want a one world system. They want a one world government. And they want a one world religion. They want everything to be under one ruler, one leader. Well, what is that leading up to, folks? We've talked about this many times in our prophecy studies. But it's leading up to a false messiah who we call the Antichrist. So, something to keep in mind. The fourth order that Paul mentions are the spiritual wickednesses, and, and it's really plural, poneria, spiritual wickednesses in high places. And these are the spiritual forces of perniciousness, and that's, that's, a, that's about a $3 word there, but uh, perniciousness just literally means malicious wickedness and evil. Malicious wickedness and evil. That's what we wrestle with when we wrestle against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world and the spiritual wickedness in high places. And by the way, high places. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. I wish I could talk about it more. Uh, there, there's just so much in the scriptures that we sometimes put aside as if to say, well, God is actually talking about, uh, you know, uh, earthly judges. Uh, you know, they use the term Elohim for earthly judges, but uh, we have to dig a little deeper. And, uh, but we can't do it today. I just need to get this other stuff done. But we'll do it soon. I, I told them last night, we'll do it soon. And everybody says, when? I said, well, it's soon. Uh, let, me, let me get my 2018 calendar set and then I'll let you know. But Paul mentions us also, by the way, when we're talking about this issue of high places, he does mention thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. Now, if, we mention, if he mentions them in context, then we need to understand that there is this throne and dominion and principality and power in this spirit realm. But if I say thrones, the first thing our minds go to is what? A throne of a nation, a throne of a, of a kingdom, whatever. But God also talks about thrones in the heavenlies. So here again, this is why I'm saying that there are some deeper things that we would need to talk about and we can't do it all today. But in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, Paul does talk about those things when he says, For by him were all things created, speaking of Jesus, that are in heaven, notice, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. What's the context? In both places. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. The visible and the invisible in both realms. All things were created by him and for him. So it is important then to understand that the angels that are fallen, Lucifer being of course the, the one named in Isaiah chapter 14 and and uh, spoken about in, in, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 28 as a fallen uh, being. We know of, of Lucifer's fall there in Isaiah 14 and how the heavenly hosts were then divided. We're even told in, in the scriptures that there was a third of the angels that fell with him. But they were divided so much so that the fallen with Lucifer had now become a direct influence for the pollution of mankind along with all that God had created. So when you go back to Genesis chapter 6, and I want you to turn there because it's very important for you to see these things. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, and there's a lot of theological alternatives to this particular passage that I'm going to give you, but there is a much stronger sense of... of this being what, what we're leading you to understand here that is tied together with this whole issue of, of, uh, of this invisible uh, 
spiritual warfare. We're, we're, we're the visible part of that, but, uh, you know, uh, but it has to have this particular foundation. So as you look at verses 1 through 5 of Genesis 6, it says, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Now up to that point, without any more context given, we, would, might, we, we might think, as some people believe, to say, well, the sons of God would have probably been the sons of Seth and the daughters of men, just everybody else. <laughs> but that's not really where the context is going. Because then it says, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also is flesh, yet his day shall be 120 years. And it will take too long to really kind of dissect that particular part of this. But when you get to verse 4, this is where we need to understand now the context. It says, There were giants in the earth in those days. Giants in the earth in those days. And by the way, we're not talking about giants that might have been, you know, uh, suffering from something called giantism, which would only make them, you know, uh, eight feet tall and, and maybe up to about eight and a half feet tall. There have been those giants that we've seen in circuses, you know, early on in circuses, I should say, you know, because they had some unique feature being taller than everybody else. But we're talking about giants bigger than even Goliath. Uh, who was measured in the scriptures as a very tall, nine to almost 10 feet tall. We're talking about anywhere from 12 to 15 feet tall bones that have been found. And a lot of times you say, well, I haven't heard about it. Well, because they're covering these things up. Because if we can, if we can make, if we can uh, uh, prove the scriptures, because it says giants in the land, then, uh, you know, the scientific world doesn't want to do that. But that's another story. That's part of the other story that I was telling you we have to get to one of these days. But there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Now, if we stopped there, then we would say, well, then that's not so bad. I mean, when we think about people that are renowned for what they do, they, yeah, but, but you, you, don't, you miss the point if you don't get the, the context. Look at the next verse. There's all of this stuff going on, men, you know, men and women getting together and, and offspring coming and some of them are giants and, and whatnot. But notice verse 5, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination, remember the word imagination, going back to Ephesians chapter 2, the mind. And the flesh, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Moses here is, 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 is using terminologies. We call it anthropomorphism, which, which is just using the word repent and, and the grief of his heart. You know, using terms we normally use for man to express the heart of God. That should also give us a hint as to how bad this evil was, you see. So that in verse 7 it says, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. But then he says, Both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air. what they do? That's the question. For it repenteth me that I have made them. The animals as well? Yes. Let me ask you a question. When you read the law, in the book of Leviticus, and you see the abominations that are mentioned, most of them in the area of the sexual abominations, one of them was bestiality. The law came many, many years, of course, after 
the flood. Well, not that many years after the flood, but what he came. What I'm saying is that before the flood, men should have been dependent upon God, but they weren't. And they became evil to the extent that there was all of these things happening to a degree that I don't think can even be compared to what is happening in, in this day and age, even though I'll talk about that here in a moment. And we think, well, all of this from the sons of God? Well, who are they then? Well, let's, let's, let's deal with the, the mention of, of sons of God in, a, in another place, in the book of Job. Now, we all know that uh, Job was a righteous man, an upright man, and, and all, and Satan would come to the Lord and say, you know, you, sir, protect this guy Job a lot, and you know, but if you gave me just an inch, you know, I could make him curse you. And God said, okay, go, give it a try. Of course, Job doesn't curse God. So in the midst of that, that little scenario there in Job 1, verse 6, it says, now there was a day. And this is when this happens. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Now it gives us a little bit of a hint that these sons of God are more than just men. There's another family in heaven. And by, and by the way, the scriptures talk about it. God's family in heaven and God's family on earth. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. But then in chapter 2, verse 1 as well, it says again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Now, I mentioned in the previous study our need to take seriously the things that the Word of God is saying to us about the times in which we live and the events which will affect and determine the, the eternal destinies of all who are in this world. But we have to go back and understand where this battle began, what, what, what started it and who started it. And who are the major players in this? I know that I've already gone kind of over that with you. But here once again we see that the sons of God is a, a type of counsel. I, 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 I want to get to that in another time, but it's really important to understand. You read, take, very quickly, don't turn there now, but later read Psalm 82 verse 1 where it talks about the Lord standing in the congregation of the mighty and that there would be the judging of the Elohim. Oh, think about that for just a moment. But yet we use the term Elohim for God as well. So that word, the term has to be seen in, in, in the usage of it and in the context of who is who and what is what. The point is that phrase, the congregation of the mighty, where is that? Something for you to think about. But what we need to understand for today is that the enemies of our faith, the unseen enemies, are returning with some sort of evil vengeance upon this modern world in things that are seen and things that are unseen bringing us back to the days of Noah and Lot. Now Jesus had, uh, talked about the days of Noah and Lot separately, but he also talked about it in the Gospel of Luke singularly. In other words, together. In Luke 17, verses 26 to 30, where it says, and it was in the days of Noah. This is Jesus speaking. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. They did what people are doing today. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage. Until when? Until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And don't forget that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And don't forget that he went out as a preacher. A preacher doesn't just build a boat and just stick around the boat to see who's going to come and listen. He had to be one who would go out and, and tell people, listen... God is going to bring judgment upon this world because of all of this wickedness that you all are involved in. 
But he told me to build an ark, and I've left the door open, and we're going to put some animals in there, and, and, and there, but there's going to be room, and if you want to be saved by God from the evil that is coming, or I should say the judgment that is coming, then the door's open, but God's going to close the door himself, which he did. And then came the floods. Then came the rains. And by the way, they not only rained, but water came up from underneath. And would destroy them all, except for eight people. Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives. But then Jesus goes on to say, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. The same thing. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. All going on in life. But what was going on in Sodom and what was going on in Gomorrah? And Lot, being a righteous man, what was he doing? I mean, he had to be pulled out of there. Which is a good picture in no sense to be pulled out of there. Snatched away. The same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven. Different kind of rain. And destroyed them all. And even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. That's coming, folks. It's time to get serious about our relationship and fellowship with God and Christ. What do we have to face nowadays? I wish I had more time. I'm going to give you as much as I can in just this little few minutes. How many of you have heard of transhumanism? A few of you? Transhumanism? Okay. All right, look it up. I did for you, but there's a lot more to learn. Understand this. There's something called transhumanism. It's abbreviated nowadays as H plus or little h plus. It is an international and intellectual movement. I got this off the internet, so you'll know. It's an international and intellectual movement that aims to transform the human condition by developing and creating widely available sophisticated technologies to greatly enhance human intellectual, physical, and psychological capacities. Transhumanism doesn't sound so bad until you see the things that are connected to transhumanism. For example, these quote-unquote scientific endeavors that are taking place today, genetic manipulation, Gender manipulation. Genetic engineering. Changing and adding to the genetics of man and the DNA of man. Unnatural evolution. A natural evolution is not something that is dealing with the organic, but that which is more synthetic. An unnatural evolution of technology. Then there is something called the brain initiative. How many of you heard of that? Not too many, huh? This is very interesting, but I saw a video yesterday of President Obama before he left office. President Obama endorsing this brain initiative, which has as its goal, and listen carefully, the goal is for there to be communication with others by thought. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm not the crazy one. I'm just reporting the news here. This is what he was saying. We need to endorse and we need to back up this brain initiative because, you know, our military would, 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 would benefit so strongly if they could communicate without having to talk to each other. They could just send thoughts. Wow. Woo, what, what planet are we on? Right? I think it was uh, President Obama, actually, in an interview this week, said that if any of you listen to Fox News, you're on a different planet. Well, praise the Lord for that. At least we're getting something a little more clear than what we're hearing on the other stations. 
Anyway, it's not about that. How about robotics? We think that they can't be too bad. I mean, some of you guys have that little thing that goes around in your house, you know, vacuuming, you know. We say, that can't be all that bad. Until I read somewhere that some of that is, is going to be spying on your house. Wow. Uh, you know those little things you speak into, whatever they call them, you know, and they, yeah, that, that, that's already intrusion. Crazy. Synthetic biology. I mean, that's an oxymoron. Biology has to do with organic, right? I mean, we're or organisms. Synthetic biology? Wow, they even came up with a nice uh, oxymoron. Digital medicine. Cloning. And we're not talking about just cloning a little lamb and making another little lamb look exactly alike. We're cloning humans. And then not just cloning humans, but there is this... Um, I mentioned ge genetic manipulation earlier, but there is uh, this uh, attempt, and, and, and actually always, most militaries are experimenting with these and have all of the technologies before we ever hear about them. But one of these uh, experiments has to do with the, uh, the uh, bringing together of uh, the DNA of, of uh, let's say, an, eagle, uh, an eagle's eye with the eye of a human being so that the human being himself could have the kind of eyesight that an eagle would have to see at night, to see f at far distances, to see with a kind of clarity. Th this has already been attempted, okay? Just, just letting you know. Uh, there are so many uh, resources and, and uh, things that you can look up to see that that's what's been happening. Cog cognitive computing. Uh, another living thing is what they say, you know, this, the cognitive computing is another living thing. It's, it's you know, we're, we're, we're artificial uh, uh, intelligence uh, is, is the point. And then, of course, the development of the super soldier. And I thought of Captain America. Wow, you know, the super soldier. You know, if you remember the story of Captain America back in the 40s, the technology was there, right? You know, you had this little scrawny guy, then all of a sudden he became this big, you know, and, and, and that's one of the goals. And you might think, well, you've been reading too many comic books, Pastor. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not reading the comic books. No. I'm concerned about we're living in the days of Noah. It's been said that one of the greatest lies ever told by Satan was that humans had the, cap the capabilities to become as gods. That's one of the greatest lies ever told. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. The serpent, the Nahash, was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She wasn't uh, really very accurate there. Uh, and the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. God call, go, calling God a liar. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof that your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods. Knowing good and evil. One of the scientists that I heard talking about these issues that I just mentioned in this list of things that are happening today. One of them actually said this. Here he is in a, in a dark suit and a tie and, and looking very pro professorial. And he said, you know, we're going to be gods. We're going to be gods. And if anybody challenges that, I'll, 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 I'll take him out. I'll, I'll kill him. Those were some of the words that he used. And I thought, whoa, that's a... Scientist, uh, professor being paid by our universities today are saying that this is what these technologies are leading to, that you may be gods? Well, Moses said that a long time ago because of the devil, because of his deception. Upon Adam. You may say, well, it was Eve that talked to him. Yeah, but where was Adam? Where was he? 
Where was his responsibility in the truth? You see, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 through 12, it says, And then, said, and then shall the, that wicked be revealed, speaking of the Antichrist, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Those people who are preterists today who believe that all Scripture has been fulfilled already, they said this is just, you know, uh, it's already taken care of. We don't have to worry about this. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion or deception that they should believe a lie. And you can say the lie. This is the lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. It was more than just for what we would consider to be bad sins that the Lord destroyed the world, man and beast. Ah, they were, you know, they were just messing around. Really? Were they just messing around? Have you ever wondered, I'm just going to leave, I'm just leave you with this thought. I'm not, you know, I'm not endorsing all of this, whatever. I just want you to leave you with a thought. See how deep it is that you go and, and, and see how the world condition has been over the past 6,000 years. Where did, where, did, where, where did all those weird animals come from, you know, that have been represented by Greek mythology and other mythologies? Part man, part beast. Wow. Just think about it. Think about it. Could man have been that wicked, that evil? Obviously so. But God destroyed the world for it. Creeping things in the fowls of the air, destroyed. Time does not permit going into detail about these things, but we must do what we must do in these last days and as we see the day of Christ approaching is exactly what Paul has said in Ephesians chapter 6. And let me close with verses 13 through 18. And we'll at least close this chapter of what we've been doing. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Not just some of it, but all of it. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Remember, standing and withstanding are military terms. You stand for the truth. You withstand the attacks of the enemy. And having done all, you stand still to the end. That's how we battle, to the end. But if you're in Jesus Christ, you are victorious. You stand to the end. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. First thing, truth binds us. It strengthens us. It keeps us together when we run into the battle. Having on the breastplate of righteousness, our internal organs protected. Our hearts, our spiritual internal organs. The depths of where we meet with God. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Notice not just some of the fiery darts, but all of them. And take the helmet of salvation. That which protects your mind. Your soul. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, the weapon, which is the Word of God. Praying always. And yes, that's part of your armor. Praying. When you go out into the battlefield, you need to pray. And you need to be prayed up. And then when you're prayed up, you need to pray some more. 
Because that's what he says, praying with all prayer. I just pray a little bit. I just pray at dinner. I just pray at breakfast. Pray all the time and, and, and with supplication in the spirit. Supplication is just praying for what you need. What do you need? I need God's strength. I need God, God's wisdom. I need God's word. I need all that God has prepared for me for this battle. That's the whole armor of God. By the way, the whole armor of God is Jesus covering you. Amen? And watching. We have to be circumspect, knowing what's all around us. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Don't forget, you've got people next to you. Pray for them. The people around you here today, we ask you to greet each other every day. Think about the people you greeted today and pray for them today. Pray for them every day this week. Make it a habit now. That you don't go away without a name that you can pray for. Y'all know my name, so you can pray for me. And pray for our pastors, pray for our leaders, pray for our elders, pray for our, our deacons, pray for our children's ministry workers, pray for, pray for everybody that's serving you today in the cafe. Pray for them. Lift them up daily into the Lord. Because the battle's real, folks. Because the enemy's real. But may I also encourage you, the victory in Christ is real. Amen? Don't forget, if you don't know the Jesus Christ, recognize that you're a sinner. Repent, turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. Call upon him. Surrender these things to him and then receive him. The three R's of salvation. Don't leave without him. Let Jesus go with you.